you will see that we will start off in 2 Chronicles 32 and we'll note the parallel version in 2 Kings 19 and it'll be like that all the way through. We will hit chapter 20 tonight in 2 Kings. Okay, last time we saw this threatening and intimidating letter sent to the king and then they, these Assyrians cried out what all they were going to do to them if they didn't surrender. They spoke in Hebrew and the word came back from the assistant to the king, you know, talk to us in, in your language. No, we want everybody to hear what we have to hear. But the, the people held together, the, the soldiers held together. You have to understand how the Lord gave them strength for this because Assyria had been the scourge of the world, that, that part of the world, the known world in that day. And they were horrible. I have already spoken to you about what history says, how they dealt with other nations and how they dealt with their captors, how cruel they were, how they tortured them and tormented them until they died. So this overwhelming threat, understand now this invading army has already taken part of, of Judah, the southern kingdom. Jerusalem is a different story and it's kind of like a Christmas story, I guess. Anything that has to do with a descendant of David in, in this part or in any part of the texts has to do with the coming of the Christ. It's no different here. Now they've come to Jerusalem and they're making these threats and they're, 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 they're saying that Yahweh is no different than the gods of the other nations and that the gods of the other nations could not deliver those nations. Therefore, Yahweh will not deliver Judah, Jerusalem. This, this blasphemous talk coming from the, the, the massive Assyrian army, but for the intervention of Yahweh, literally there's no hope for Jerusalem to be delivered. However, there is this uh, weapon, this spiritual weapon that has to do with the son of David to be seated on the throne. It is at the pleasure of Yahweh. It is not at the pleasure of Assyria or any other nation that the son of David will rule on the throne of Jerusalem until Yahweh says otherwise. And the only time that he says otherwise is in the book of Ezekiel. It'll be alluded to here by prophecy in the passage that we'll study. And in Ezekiel, when the people are being displaced and enslaved by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, we note that... Uh, the son of David and the son of David in quick succession. 
become servants, literally, of Nebuchadnezzar until he begins to move in a savage way against them. However, earlier in that passage in Ezekiel, Yahweh had already stated that he had, he had paused the real rule of the son of David until at his pleasure he restores it. And of course that will be restored in the second coming of Christ. Thus we are encouraged in the Bible to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for the restoration. In Daniel, it speaks of the Messiah coming in the uh, 69th week of the 70 weeks that Gabriel said was to Daniel was determined upon Daniel's people, Israel. And the 69th Shabbat, the 69th seven-year period would come to an end with the death, the murder of Messiah, who Daniel said through the angel from heaven giving him the information would receive nothing. That is, that particular time that the Messiah appears on earth was not the time that Yahweh would place him on the throne and thus subjugate all nations and kings to him. Wasn't that time. It was for something else. Now, the church is a mystery in the Old Testament. So it, it couldn't, they couldn't have, it wasn't revealed that his death was a sacrificial death, the death of the cross. It takes the New Testament and it takes, uh, it takes the, the, the teaching of the Christ himself, really, uh, for us to understand that. So everything here is relative. Of course, it's all relative to it. Um, this is an interesting passage. They all are, but this one shows us how Jerusalem, the son of David, Hezekiah, are taken right to the brink of destruction. I've told you before that it was the methodology of the Assyrians to literally destroy uh, the national identity and the cultural identity of every nation they defeated. They would uh, assimilate those people into their, into their own culture. They would take away their language and, and uh, they had to take another name and so forth. That's what happened to the 10 lost tribes. This is what they intend to do with Judah, the Jews. Well, that can't happen because of the covenant that God has made with David, the Davidic covenant. It's not time for that. So something miraculous has to happen. Yahweh has said many times in the Old Testament that he is in utter sovereign control of the movement of nations and the peoples of the world. That the heart of the king is in his hand. It's, it's, it's never denied by the inspired prophets in the Old Testament who gave to us the prophecies that Yahweh is in absolute control. Psalm 2 talks about how it asks the question in, 
beginning, why do the nations rage against God and his Christ, his anointed, which is the same word for Christ, Messiah. Why do the nations of the world rage against God and his Christ? Goes on and describes how futile it is for the nations of the world to fight against the divine and sovereign purpose of Yahweh. And then it goes on down there and it says that it has Yahweh, it has Yahweh in a, in a, in a, a derision. He's, he's in a laughing stupor at the nations who think they can call the shots. That's what Psalm 2 says. We keep that in mind all the way through. Certainly it's no different here, but it really is illustrated in this passage of scripture. So Jerusalem here, the, the massive army of Assyria encamped all around it, ready to move on it. Jerusalem literally has no hope of surviving the onslaught of the Assyrians. They've moved everywhere across that part of the world without, with, hardly, with hardly anyone stopping them. Very savage, very motivated and energized. However, they have made the fatal error of laughing at Yahweh and comparing him to the other so-called gods of the world as though there were other gods to whom he could be compared. Now, Jerusalem here now is delivered from Sennacherib. Let's look at it, 2 Chronicles 32, beginning in verse 20. King Hezekiah and Isaiah the son of Amoz prayed concerning this. They cried out to heaven. The letter that had been written, the blasphemies uh, spoken against Yahweh, the outcry of, of the uh, official who came from, from out of the armies to stand before the wall of Jerusalem and say the things that he had said, trying to intimidate the soldiers and Tell them that they'll be prosperous and they'll be given a place to live and a farm and animals and all this. Just, just lay your sword down and just come on, join us. And we won't have to go through this. So, as I said earlier, the soldiers didn't buy into that. They, they stayed loyal to Hezekiah. Thus, they stayed loyal to Yahweh. So, Hezekiah calls in the prophet Isaiah Together they pray. Verse 21, Yahweh sent an angel and he destroyed every mighty warrior and ruler and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. And he returned shamefacedly to his land and he entered the temple of his God and some of his own offspring failed him or killed him there with the sword. The mighty pride of Assyria has been broken without a single soldier of Judah engaging the fight. It's an amazing account. One angel, one angel from heaven. We learn in the, in, in the parallel account of this in King, 2 Kings 19, it was 185,000 soldiers 
And one angel, one angel, he probably, he probably just showed up and, and I don't know, maybe he just got radioactive and I don't know what he did. Maybe he was picking his teeth while he did it. It was like, it's no big deal. One angel and 185,000 of the most savage warriors in the world, battle hardened, feared everywhere. These, these Assyrian troops, these soldiers, one angel. Well, so then the king is ashamed. How do you say it? You know, you go to sleep one night, you have the mightiest army in that part of the world and you're ready to take on Jerusalem. You wake up the next morning, all your soldiers dead. There's nothing to fight with and he has to tuck tail and run, literally. There's nothing he can do about it. He's ashamed, he's lost his army. Their greatness here is broken. It's over for Assyria. And I'll tell you why. Because they mocked Yahweh. Because they challenged the covenant that Yahweh had with the son of David. That never works out for anybody. Never does. So he goes and all he knows to do is to go and pray in the temple of his of his impotent God. There, there is no God. He's just going in there. And his own sons, we'll see, his own sons killed him with a sword. And Yahweh saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all. And he guided them on every hand. So then, this is Yahweh's doing. Every hand, every, every, everything that you could think of in this situation, Yahweh was in charge of it. Which speaks to me that even the death of every single Assyrian soldier, Yahweh was involved. Yahweh did it. Yeah, he sent his angel, but it was Yahweh. The power of Yahweh. Now, how's, here's, how the, uh, here's how the account goes in 2 Kings 19. It came to pass... On that night, that an angel of Yahweh went out and slew 185,000 of the camp of Assyria. And they arose in the morning and behold, uh, they were all dead corpses. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, left and went away and he returned and dwelt in Nineveh. And he was prostrating himself in the temple of Nisroch, his God, and Adramelech, you see Melech, you see that uh, name of the God in, in, in the name of his son? Adramelech and Sharizer, his sons, slew him with a sword. They fled to the land of Ararat, and his son Asahadon reigned in his stead. There's literally nothing else in history regarding the so called greatness of Assyria. Yahweh took care of it. Now, Hezekiah, as great as he has been as a servant king to Yahweh, as a son of David, he still has his flaws. And the main flaw that anybody like him 
in such a position uh, will suffer from is the, is the flaw, the sin of pride. You can, you can never, ever, that's why, that's why it is so important for us to collapse on our faces in the presence of a sovereign God for everything. I mean, salvation doesn't matter what it is. It's God. It's all of God. And none of us. Well, let's follow the story of Hezekiah here as he becomes ill and is restored to his health. Many brought an offering to Yahweh, to Jerusalem, and delicacies to Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Okay, so they're making him feel good about himself. When it comes to the Lord's work, you know, that's one thing to, to win the Heisman Trophy, I guess. Still ought to give God the glory. But that's not like, you know, ministering in the name of Yahweh, right? But here's a guy, he would be nothing. He would, he would be dog food if not for Yahweh. He had no hope, hopeless. But the people start giving him a little credit. Well, he takes it. And delicacies to Hezekiah, the king of Judah. And he was elevated in the eyes of all the nations henceforth. Now he had a perfect opportunity to glorify Yahweh. And just say, now folks, wait a minute. I'm nothing but a man. Yahweh has me in this place at this time. It was Yahweh, the prophet Isaiah, and I prayed. And Yahweh responded. There was nothing in the power or might of our hands that could have done anything. We were at the total absolute mercy of Yahweh, the sovereign God. He intervened. If you're going to, if you're going to elevate anybody, elevate Yahweh above any other so-called God. But he didn't take that opportunity, you see? In those days, Hezekiah became ill and he was near death and he prayed to Yahweh. And he spoke to him and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay him according to that which he had bestowed upon him. He didn't do what I had just said he ought, you know, what he should have done. For his heart became haughty and there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Now why is that? Well, to whom did the people bring delicacies? To Hezekiah. They should have done all kinds of things in the name of Yahweh and to the praise of Yahweh, but the brought of the king. So they made a mistake. Of course, Hezekiah made a terrible mistake. It was a teaching moment for Hezekiah and he missed it. And Hezekiah became humbled when his heart was haughty. He and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the wrath of Yahweh did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Now that's explained a little more here in 2 Kings chapter 20. In those days, Hezekiah became critically ill when Isaiah, the son of Amoz, the prophet came to him and said to him, so has Yahweh said, give orders to your household for you're going to die. You're not going to live. Get your affairs in order. Have you written your will? <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of bad, ain't it? Oh, thou great Hezekiah, you're going to die. There's nothing great about anybody, really. We live, we die. That's it. So then, 
Isaiah, obviously, Isaiah comes because of the haughtiness of Hezekiah. God's not going to overlook that. And he turned his face toward the wall and he prayed to Yahweh saying, please Yahweh, remember now how I walked before you truly and wholeheartedly and did what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept profusely. He, he really wasn't ready <laughs> to meet the Lord. Wept profusely. And it was when Isaiah had not gone out to the inner court the word of Yahweh came to him saying, return and say to Hezekiah, the ruler of my people. So has Yahweh, the God of your father, David said, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I shall heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of Yahweh. I will add 15 years to your life and I will save you from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will save you in this city and I will protect this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David, for my sake. So now this becomes, Hezekiah really has a testimony now. The only problem is, and I'm not going to get into it here, but the only problem is do a study of what happens in the next 15 years with Hezekiah living. I mean, you know, he could have died. It wouldn't have hurt anything. Um, but he wanted to live 15 years, 15 years. For my sake, for the sake of my servant David. Now, what does he mean? Well, he has, a, he has a Davidic covenant. He made a covenant with David. There'll be a son of David on the throne according to the will and purpose of Yahweh. That's not gonna change. And so, I, okay, I'm gonna do this. But when you're healed, you understand that it's not for you really. It's for my sake. And now, Hezekiah had better be careful to say, folks, let me tell you who really delivered us from Sennacherib. Let me tell you really who caused me to get up off my deathbed. Let me tell you about the power of the one who really has the power, who is Yahweh. Now that's, that's what the rest of his life is supposed to be devoted to. Isaiah said, take a cake of pressed figs. They took one and placed it on the boil and it was healed. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what is the sign that Yahweh will heal me that I will go up to the house of Yahweh on the third day? Isaiah said, this is your sign from Yahweh that Yahweh will fulfill the word that he spoke. Shall the shade advance 10 steps or shall it come back 10 steps? Is the sun just going to keep going like it always has? Or is it going to go backwards for 10 steps? The, the word is not degrees, but they had a method by which they measured time. And according to the Hebrew language, it was in steps. Shall it come back? Shall it just keep advancing 10 steps in the shadow? Just get, or will it stop and it go back 10 degrees, 10 steps? What are you going to say? Would that be a pretty good sign? If the sun <laughs> goes backward, well, you would think that everybody would fly off the face of the earth if that happened. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But it's according to the will of Yahweh. So it wasn't going to happen that way, but it was going to stop and go backward. That's an interesting sign. Hezekiah said, well, it's easy for the shade to advance 10 ste steps. Not so. Let it return 10 steps. 
I mean, you know, if I was, if I'd been Hezekiah, I'd just kept my mouth shut. I just said, okay, I don't need a sign. I just need the word of God. That's all I need. But he didn't do that. The prophet Isaiah called Yahweh. He brought back the shade on the steps that it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. Backward, 10 steps. Wow. Now, Hezekiah's wealth and his foolish pride. Let's read about it. Let's go back to 2 Chronicles 32 and continue from there. Hezekiah had much wealth and honor. He made himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, for all the precious vessels. Now, what happens here? It's back to business as usual for the people of God, that they would prosper, that they would be a strong nation, that Hezekiah would prosper, that his household of David would be strong. And so, so, so Yahweh provides that which in a lot of ways had been lost. And storehouses for the increase of corn, wine, oil, stalls for all kinds of beasts, flocks, for sheep folds. And he made himself cities in possessions of small cattle, large cattle in abundance. For Elohim gave him exceedingly abundant possessions. How did he get it? Elohim gave it to him. He still has this covenant. And he, that is Hezekiah, stopped up the source of the waters of the upper Gihon, and he led them straight down on the west of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. And so because of the emissaries of the officers of Babylon who sent to him to seek the sign that, it, that was in the land, Elohim forsook him to test him to know all that was in his heart. Well, there's a little more detail here in 2 Kings on the same account. At that time, Berurach Baladan, the son of Baladan, the king of Babylonia, sent letters and a gift to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been ill. Hezekiah listened to him and he showed them his entire treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the good oil, and the entire house in which he kept his vessels and everything that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing that Hezekiah did not show them in his palace and in his kingdom. <laughs> what kind of idiot is Hezekiah? He just keeps bumbling through. You see, this, when they come sometime later, when they come, when Nebuchadnezzar's people come, they know that this is a rich bunch of people because it's written, it's written in our chronicles that the king has all kinds of treasury here and that there's all kind of treasury in the temple. They don't forget this. They're not going to forget this at all. I mean, you know, so anyway, okay. And so he showed them everything. There was nothing that Hezekiah did not show them in his palace and in his kingdom. Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, said to him, what did these men say? And whence did they come to you? Hezekiah said, they have come from a distant country. They came from Babylonia. And he said, what did they see in your palace? And Hezekiah said, they saw everything that's in my palace. There was nothing that I did not show them in my treasuries. Now, 
I can see Isaiah in my mind's eye. He, I can see, and this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. Shakes his head. Rolls his eyes, takes a deep breath. And is thinking, you imbecile. That's what he's thinking. I know that's what he was thinking. I didn't get it from heaven, but I just know. I just know Isaiah. So he's, you know, he says, I showed there's nothing that I did not show them. Now, why did Isaiah ask him the question? Because he knew that Hezekiah was that kind of an idiot. That's right. He knew. He said, I, I bet I, you know, he could have said, I bet you showed him everything, didn't you? Now, the, there again is the pride of Hezekiah. That's one thing he just can't escape from is how proud he is of who he is, what he's done, and what he has. Now, we saw earlier that it was Elohim who filled up his treasuries. It wasn't him. But this makes him look real good to the Babylonians. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hearken to the word of Yahweh. Behold, a time will come when everything in your palace, and what your forefathers have stored up, will be carried off to Babylonia. Nothing shall remain, said Yahweh. And they will take some of your sons who will issue from you who are spring forth your sons, whom you will beget, and they will be officers in the palace of the king of Babylonia. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of Yahweh that you have spoken is good. What? Here's why it's good, because it ain't going to happen till after I die. It ain't going to happen to me. What a guy. For he thought, is it not so if there will be peace and truth in my, in my days? Well, I tell you, these kings, you can't live with them and you can't live without them in those days. So he says, well, this is, ha, 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 the word of Yahweh is good. I can still see Isaiah rolling his eyes, taking a deep breath. Well, what? This is bad. This is not good. The Babylonians are going to take over the kingdom and carry off your sons and take away the treasury of all of Judah. Oh, that's good. That's good. And he thinks, at least it won't happen while I'm alive. Okay. Hezekiah's death. Back to Second Chronicles. And the rest of the affairs of Hezekiah and his kind acts, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, the prophet, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the best of the sepulchers of the sons of David. And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bestowed honor upon him at his death. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. Manasseh is not going to be a good guy. He's a bad guy. He's one of the things that happens in those 15 years that he's been granted. So now what does King say about the same thing? The rest of the events of Hezekiah and all of his mighty deeds, how he made the conduit, the pool, he brought the water into the city. They are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. And Hezekiah slept with his forefathers and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. Sovereign purpose of God is unstoppable. It marches on. 
We'll pick up there next time, God willing, and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.